Exposition of Daniel by John Thomas Section 26 Nebuchadnezzar's Image, the Symbol of the Gogian Autocrat's Dominion The organisation which this vast empire will assume, when fully developed, is represented in the second chapter of Daniel by a colossus in human form, which as an apparition flitted before the mind of Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. Daniel says that the scene of which it was the subject was representative of what should be in the latter days. This being admitted, it follows that what is recorded in that chapter is yet in the future. The scene exhibits a colossus standing on its feet in unrivalled brightness of glory and terrible to behold. Standing thus for a time not indicated, another object appears, even a stone representative of a power not in mortal hands. This stone power smites the colossus on the feet and it falls, after which the stone proceeds to reduce the broken fragments to dust, which by the violence of the process is carried away so completely that not a vestige of the colossus remains. And the place left void by the disappearance of the statue becomes the territory of the stone power, which by the operation becomes a mountain dominion and fills the whole image earth. This scene has never been exhibited before the eyes of the world, because the constituents of the Colossus have never yet been put together so as to form the image of the scene. These constituents are represented by the different metallic parts, as the Keldo-Assyrian golden head, the Medo-Persic-Assyrian silver arms and breast, the Macedo-Assyrian belly of brass, the Greco-Assyrian and Greco-Egyptian northern and southern thighs of brass, the Latino-Assyrian and the Greco-Assyrian eastern and western iron legs, and the Russo-Greek-Assyrian and Latino-Assyrian iron and clay feet and toes. Now, while the head, breast and arms, belly, thighs, legs and toes have all existed. The feet have not yet been formed, so that it has been hitherto impossible for the colossal image to stand erect, as Nebuchadnezzar saw it in his dream. It is therefore the mission of the autocrat to form the feet and set up the image before the world in all its excellent brightness and terribleness of form, that all men subject to the kingdom of Babylon may worship the work of its creator's power. When it stands upon the plain of Dura, the imperial fabric will rest upon the Russo-Greek and Latin feet and toes, two emperors and ten kings on the Roman earth, whatever may be beyond. The form of the image necessitates the reduction of the present number of European emperors from four to two. There are but two legs, therefore there can be only two imperial divisions of the dominion in its latter day, or time of the end, manifestation. From mature consideration, I am satisfied that Austria and Russia will be the imperial supporters 
of the united majesty of the image. For there must be ten kingdoms, and if Austria were suppressed, and France remain imperial, the tenth kingdom would be wanting. Besides, that prophecy has already designated France as a Gamerian constituent of the image, and as a tenth of the city or state of Babylon. From these premises, my inference is that the present Napoleon Empire is simply meteoric. Providence has raised it up as the frog power dominion to work out by its policy an antagonist Russo-Austrian policy leading to the manifestation of the image, preparatory to the overthrow of the kingdom of Babylon by the stone power, or kingdom of God. Had the French Empire not been resuscitated, events would have flowed in a different channel, and the gathering of the nations to the Armageddon conflict, humanly speaking, evaded. State documents prove that the policy of Louis-Napoleon has been the exciting cause of the Eastern question, and it will be the cause of still further complications. But beyond a certain limit we cannot go. He has a mission to perform, and when it is accomplished his work is done. He will not be allowed to settle himself in the throne of a French empire. The age of conquest, he says, is gone, never more to return. And this was most complacently re-echoed by the admirers of Louis Napoleon in England. But how little do the puppets, through whom Providence works out his purposes, understand the times and tendencies to which they belong? They propose, but the disposition of all things is of God. There is to be no more fighting for conquest, or aggrandizement, or selfish advantage between France and England, says Lord Palmerston, but for the liberties of oppressed nations, and to establish the freedom and independence of Europe. And continues he, I am confident it will be crowned with success. There may, indeed, be no more fighting between France and England, as belligerent principles. But their leaders are all wrong in supposing that the age of conquest is past for ever, and that they will succeed in establishing the freedom and independence of Europe. There never has been such an age of conquest as that which will soon open upon the world. And as to the establishment of European freedom and independence, the war to be initiated is the setting in of an overwhelming inundation that will submerge them under one of the most terrible and scorching despotisms that ever wrung the heart of nations. England's ally, in whom she now glories, and by whose aid she proposes to do such great things for Europe, will eventually prove but a broken reed. The French Empire must fall, and Napoleon perhaps give place to a nominee of his good friend the autocrat, for before the end comes the French monarchy may be expected to reappear, and then, unless Britain can form some alliance beyond the limits of the Kingdom of Babylon, she will have to fight the battle of freedom and independence alone, and at the price of her own existence if she fail. France, as I have said, is Gamerian, and as such 
must come into confederacy with the great Cossack ruler of the Gogian image. And then, though not as a principle, she will send her conquered and crestfallen hosts to do battle for the autocrat against Britain on the mountains of Israel's land. It is impossible that Nebuchadnezzar's image can represent any other imperial confederacy of nations than that under the king of the north in the time of the end. The names given in Ezekiel's list of Gog's army are representative of the countries known to have existed under the dynastic rule of the gold, the silver, the brass and the iron. Part of Assyria proper already belongs to the king of the north and pertains to the gold. Persia is to be with him as the silver element. His Grecism is typified by the brass and his Gamerians by the iron, while his Magogians, Roshi, Muscovites and Siberians with the central Asiatic Tartars of Togama's house are the clay which he commingles with the iron to form the feet as the connecting medium between the legs and toes. Besides, no two such empires as that of the image and the northern Gog could coexist in the latter days. There would be neither population nor space for them in the kingdom of Babylon. As then the time and place of their existence are the same, they must therefore be one and the same confederate power, the image being symbolical or representative of the Gogian dominion of the king of the north or autocrat of Russia.